Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Gannon, and I am your host. Today, I am really excited to welcome our Director of Recruiting, Lisa Joseph, on the show. For those of you that haven't had the opportunity to meet Lisa, she was, I I think, maybe my first uh, full-time employee uh, and really the core foundation of of Find a Wrench and, and how we've set up our recruiting efforts from the start. So today we get to dive into Lisa's insight on on how she handles the business, how she has adapted to the business because her her background was very much recruiting prior to coming into the the uh, service world. So good afternoon, Lisa. How are you today? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for letting me force you to be on this. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to escape. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> so you obviously have been a, a big part of Find a Wrench and and our growth uh, in the from the very early beginning all the way till now, and have seen a lot of changes over that time. I guess give us a, a little bit of an idea of how you got to this point in the first place. What got you into recruiting? Uh, how how did uh, how did you end up at Find a Wrench? Where did you get your start? All of the stuff, all the good stuff. How, how did you get into this? Okay. Yeah. Well, so I started very, very traditionally, um, actually at a, a financial services company in lower Manhattan, working my way up their corporate human resources structure. So my, you know, my career, you know, really kind of started out extremely conservatively, traditionally through the HR ranks. And I, you know, kind of, worked you know as an hr assistant and then an hr manager and then um built a training program to teach traders how to trade and investment bankers how to do that um and built a campus recruiting program and all of those things and kind of worked my way up to um the point where i either had to pack a bag and spend even more time on the road than I was going to, or I was going to stagnate. Um, and so um, I left and uh, began a career of consulting assignments and trying to figure out what that life might be like as an HR consultant to kind of um, create better balance in my life and um, get off the, the rat race a little bit. And that's where recruiting came in to my life more fully. I'd always done recruiting kind of as part of all the other things that I did, but recruiting and consulting went beautifully together. And I um, knew a lot of HR contacts from my time in corporate America. And so I kind of started off um, helping them with recruiting needs that they had over the years and um, kind of went from specialty to specialty. I've recruited for everything from you know marketing and auditors and accountants and and that kind of person to architects and construction people to say many 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 different kinds of salespeople um, and eventually found myself beginning a little bit to specialize in freelancers um, and working on a platform called upwork which um, eventually hired me to work in their, uh, for their corporate business and to help their enterprise level clients figure out how to hire people and how to do it 
um, sometimes less traditionally than they had thought of. Um, and so I worked with them for two years until their organization shifted a little bit and I found myself consulting again. And my first client happened to be one Jay Gunnanen. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a funny story because you, I mean, you were, you were with Upwork before they were like big, big, right? Like, I mean, right. they, it, it's, it's funny to hear some of your stories from back then, but I also kind of go back to the story of how, how you and I really got to meet, which was through Upwork. Right. And it was funny. I had interviewed uh, a person prior to you and I was kind of all on board uh, to hire that person. And I, I was almost going to blow off the meeting with you. Right. Like I was going to, I was I, like, I, I had my mindset that this person was, was, uh, was great. And then uh, I think I was not, uh, not on time for the meeting or something like that. It was, it was something kind of disrespectful when I look back at it, but you, you made sure that we had the meeting and followed up and, and then as soon as I you started, you can't run from me. <laughs> as soon as, <laughs> as soon as you, um, as soon as I started talking to you, you just blew me away. And, and it was uh, maybe a rapport thing. Maybe it was just a, uh, uh, just a, a way you handled business and how organized you were. But it, there was something there that just completely changed my mind. And I went away from somebody that had an automotive background um, that, which I think was really relevant to what we were doing to, to you and focused on you. And, and so as you started consulting, it, it just, things seemed to start coming together and things started to work better. And I did not have a recruiting background. Right. So like, mm -hmm. I, I think the very first thing I reached out to you to say was like, help me put together a plan. Right. I, I think if you remember those early days, that, that was, uh, that was what we started with. Right. Yeah, actually, I think I was going to initially just, it was just help you find mechanics. Yeah. And you, you started talking about how you didn't really have a plan. And I think I pitched it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's what did. we call upsell. In yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it just worked out well. And I think uh, you've got a different skill set than I do, which is very, you know, as I was starting the business, that was very important to me is to hire people that are different than me because I know I, I'm very clear about what my weaknesses are and your your strengths complemented my weaknesses. And it really helped us kind of set a foundation, I think, for everything moving forward, which to me was was really, really cool. I, I think um, the way that it came together and as I've gotten to know you and your family, I I, I love the person that you are and and your entire family. I mean, your daughter works for us. It's 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 there's a lot of cool things that happened out of it. And you're doing all of this from Tampa, Florida, right? Yep. That I am. Yeah. Pretty, pretty crazy. So talk to me a little bit about what you've learned about the industry since you've come into it. I know it's, it's, uh, it's recruiting and, and really as we've shifted to that employer marketing type of model, what, what was surprising to you? What was, um, what was different than other industries that you had worked with in the past? Uh, just maybe give me an idea of of some different things that you um, that that you encountered, maybe even that you that were different than you would have thought. Sure. Um, well, first thing that I can think of is whenever I would start with a new client or employer or whatever the situation happened to be, the first thing that I tried to understand is what is this business and what are the challenges that they have related to recruiting. And so, of course, that's you know kind of always how I'm thinking as we 
try and approach different parts of our business. And the thing that I find most interesting is that almost always with all the other industries and clients that I've, I've been involved with, there's a kind of a one-sided problem. Like there's not, you know, everybody wants to work for XYZ enterprise company, but there's not enough of the type of people that they want, or it's, it's one-sided in terms of needs and challenges. But in this industry, it's unique because I feel like both sides of the equation are challenged. The shops desperately need technicians and can't find enough of them. And technicians really have a hard time finding the great shops. And there, there's definitely not enough technicians in the market to satisfy all the need. But even if there were, they're just not very good at connecting. And right. so that's kind of why I think that what Finder Wrench does is neat because we are literally attempting to create that bridge that yeah. simply didn't exist two years ago. Pretty crazy, right? I, yeah. I, I think, um, did you did you grasp how how big the need was when you took the job? No, no. I mean, honestly, I, I just thought it was kind of more the same of what I had already seen in, in different industries. Like, you know, everyone says, oh, I have a terrible time finding marketing managers. Well, you're just not like, you're just not structured and you don't have the right plan in place. And once we do that, then you'll find who you need. But that wasn't what we found. <laughs> what we right. found was we could build a lot of different things and it didn't permanently solve the problem. Right. The problem was kind of evergreen and you know, it was going to take more than just Lisa Joseph in six months. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even, uh, with, with kind of, as we added to our team and, and I think the, the beauty of what you saw going through the whole thing, and it wasn't the first time that you had been really involved with a startup, but the amount of change that we had from day one to now is crazy. I, I like, I I've been involved with a lot of businesses. I, I don't know that I've seen as much change in, in, uh, their entire lifetimes as we saw in, two months at times, right? Or a month, like yeah. there, there was a, just drastic changes as we saw and as we were trying to fix this problem. And, and I give you a lot of credit for adapting and, and really, you know, getting to know the industry, getting to know where we had to be at and, and how to put that structure in place on the recruiting side, because that is literally something I would have not been able to do. <laughs> it, uh, it, it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun to watch you kind of put everything together. And I, I think, you know, based on what you learned, uh, we've made a lot of, and not only you, but for me and for our entire team now, as we learn and as we evolve, uh, we're, we're really starting to hone in on, on the industry and, and maybe a lot of the problems that we have uh, and, and a lot of the solutions to the problem. So yeah. let's dive into that part right there, Lisa. Sure. Uh, when you look at shops and, and shops that really struggle uh, to find good technicians, are there any common themes that you see? And, and I think yeah. it's, it's a different world, right? Because anybody from the largest corporations to the smallest mom and pop struggle with the same exact problem here is there any commonality of what you see in, in terms of why there's a hurt there? Yeah, there is. I, I think, um, regardless of location or differentiating features between the types of companies, the, 
there's a really common problem on everyone that firstly, the numbers don't work in their favor, yeah. right? So there, there, there just aren't enough texts to fill the jobs that are available now, even if everything was perfect. So that hurts everybody in a big city, in a tiny little town with a great job, with maybe not such a great job. Um, that, that kind of affects everyone across the board. And I think the other thing is the misconception um, is pretty common. From, from the biggest to the smallest, I think that people are really just now realizing that this is not a temporary problem. Yeah. Um, and, and now starting to come to grips with it. I've seen that in um, the largest dealerships to you know a, a two bay shop where they're just hiring their first person because they're only other tech retired it's kind of a, a learning experience for them as well and we spend a good amount of our time really just trying to convey that message that you know it's very very different than the last time you tried to hire someone if that was five years ago yeah because it's the, the most shops are really used to being able to put a sign in the window and solve their problem in you know pretty quickly and have somebody just walk in the door and and it just doesn't really happen anymore no it's it's a challenge and and mm -hmm. you hit on something there that i think was maybe one of the biggest eye openers which is uh rural versus urban areas right and yes. and there's there is a big difference in how you recruit and how long it takes to find that tech correct yeah i mean Unfortunately, if a shop is in a rural area, um, and when I mean rural, I mean that, you know, it's a town separated from, from other towns or farms or mountains and deserts and, and that kind of thing that's not able to draw from a large population base. Those shops, no matter if it is in the mountains or in the desert or or on an island as we currently have out in the Atlantic Ocean, they, they have no big pool from which to draw. And for those shops, no magical skill is going to make this a fast process. Right. Um, and, and so it, it's it's a it's a rough conversation we sometimes have to have with them that says we can do many, many, many things to make sure that every possible tech within your tiny little pool knows that you have an opening. But we can't create a tech or make a tech want to move jobs if they don't exist. The best that we can do is market for that, for you and make sure they think of you. But that doesn't necessarily help a, a shop that needs a tech right away. And unfortunately, that is the case in many small, you know, small towns. They need a tech desperately. And there simply aren't any within their region that are qualified, even if they are more flexible um, than they probably initially were. So, so how, what advice do you have for a, say, a small town mm -hmm. independent shop or even for a small town dealership in that, in that case? Yeah. I mean, there's not maybe as many small town dealerships as there once was, but yeah. if you're in a, in a small area and maybe define what a small area is too, right? Like, cause I think that can be um, one thing that was an eye opener to me is what I grew up in a town of 2,500 people. Uh, you grew up on the other end of the spectrum in mm -hmm. New York. <laughs> so, yep. so small town to you is different than small town to me. Yep. And when, when we really started looking at it, 
why don't uh, define, I guess, maybe let's first off start by defining what a small town is, or, yeah. you know, really what we see where that population really becomes a challenge. And then let's talk about the challengers and, and maybe advice on how, sure. how a small, a small shop can go about uh, recruiting. Well, as luck would have it, this actually came up in my conversation um, the last time that I spoke with our ZipRecruiter um, representative. And the, um, their definition of a small town is below 10,000 people. So that's a lot of small towns. Yeah. We actually um, you know, have, have decent success if there's you know, maybe 5,000 people. Some of our shops, it's a 300 person town. Yeah. And that's a really, you know, tough situation. So my best guidance to that group of people is to try not to get in the hole to begin with, like to recruit ahead of the need to allow yourself many months to try to find the help that you're going to need and to do your best to A, retain the people that you have and B, attract new people by making it a good employment opportunity to begin with. You know, unfortunately, the smallest shops are also the ones that don't have things like benefits or pay time off or, you know, kind of a nice work environment. And, you know, they struggle in a lot of different ways, but all these things kind of add up. And if you have the choice, if you're one tech in a town of 2,500, like your hometown, and there's 15 jobs that are available, which is the average jobs that a tech looks at before they decide to make a move. If you have that many and 10 of them have benefits or you know, vacation time or air conditioned work space or whatever, and you don't, then you just made it even harder. Yeah. And so that's the that's the the one thing. And the other thing I would I would caution against is oftentimes people try and keep their current staff at a low pay rate and hire their new staff at whatever they can get them for. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't work because then immediately five minutes after the new person starts, or if they see an ad on on Zip or Recruiter or something, the current staff finds out, and then you have two openings to fill. Yeah. Because the current staff left and the, the opening is still there. Well, and, and some, not only an opening, but some really upset people, right? right. Like that it's not just uh, yeah. and word, especially in a small town travels fast. Mm-hmm. So maybe walk me through that part. How, how do they, how do they understand what is competitive and what is it? Is it just the, the feedback that they get from applicants coming in and if all of them say, Hey, you're, you're way too under my price. Right. Is yeah. that a time to look at that? Or is it uh, you need to do your research ahead of time? How do you do that? All of the above. So you definitely want to listen to the candidates that are coming in. Um, every candidate that they're speaking to, they should know what their current salary is. Now understanding sometimes candidates will embellish or, or what have you, but that should be a standard question. And if you're working with a, a recruiter or on the assisted self-recruiting program or whatever, that would be provided to you along, you know, along with the information. But um, the key is to, you know, kind of always know who you're seeing and where they are, um, and then kind of make your decisions based on that. 
you also have tools, right? So um, if you go on to Indeed or ZipRecruiter, um, even just the quickest of searches in the, in the kind of open use areas will show you a really ballpark kind of idea of what people are making. So that's a really good way to at least make sure you're not wildly out of sync. And that's my experience. Yeah. They're either, you know, everyone is making $30 an hour and they're paying their staff 18 or they're pretty darn close already. It's usually not like in the middle. It's, it's usually, oh, this is what the market is paying now. <laughs> and it's a, a little bit of an eye opener um, if, 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 because I haven't made adjustments in a while. I don't want to, I'm not going to name a shop specifically, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to point out a search that in our early days was pretty brutal. And we now probably wouldn't take the job on anymore. I mm -hmm. think we did, we took the job on out of literally just felt sorry for the people. But I don't know if you remember, there was one where they were looking for an ASE master certified technician at a, mm -hmm. at a really small independent shop in the middle of nowhere and they wanted to pay that person $12 an hour. I do uh, remember that one. I still have nightmares. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was truly that side of it where yeah. I, I think you and I really started to realize like it, 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 there's, a, there's a coaching aspect to this where we need to tell somebody, we need to be candid with them that, hey, listen, this is just not this is not competitive. And I don't know, do you remember what that individual said to us when, when we came to them and said, you know, Hey, you're, you're, I do. Wasn't it something like we do poor well here? Yeah. We do broke better than anybody else. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, not, not, not a good selling. No, selling <laughs> it, it isn't. So I, I think getting, <laughs> getting shops to look in the mirror a little bit and, and yeah. really get them to understand that, not everything they offer is the best in industry, right? And maybe there are some that are above, you know, that are really, really good. And there are, you know, a select few that are heads and shoulders above everybody else. But understanding what you're weak at and then trying to either compensate for that or, um, you know, really try to explain it to the person coming in why, you know, why it is that way and, and maybe why it's going to change. Yeah. Uh, but first off, knowing that that's, that's bad. I'll hit on one more point for the small shops and then we'll move to some reflection on the on the bigger uh, organizations are there any benefits that are maybe not super expensive not super complicated that they can add to their benefits portfolio uh, that would really help them out and they don't think it's possible well i think it's a yes and no answer okay. so <laughs> the only benefit that really ever truly makes a difference in the decision process well there's two things it's compensation mm -hmm. and it's medical coverage right and and so that but that's not a cheap one right <laughs> but here's the thing that i think most small shops don't realize is that they don't have to come up with a blue ribbon plan and pay for all of it mm. they just have to help get set up and hopefully contribute a little bit to it. But for most people, that can be enough. So I would say if you have no money at all to spend on this and you've got to try somehow to make an improvement and you have no medical coverage, piece together what you can, even if it's just a reimbursement 
of the cost or part of the cost of somebody getting it on the medical exchange. Make some small inroads on the medical coverage. And that is the best way that you can spend your money if you don't have any benefits and only a little bit of um, resources to try and improve that. And, and how do they go about that? They just contact their insurance insurance agent or um, and, and yeah. just try to set up a plan that way? Yeah. I mean, whoever sells them workman's comp insurance and, that, and like business insurance of any kind will be able to um, either provide it or point them in the right direction for their local area. But it, the most important thing to know is there are as many varieties of insurance and employer ways to deliver that insurance as there are cars on the market. Hmm. So people get really scared and they think, oh, I can't, I can't do insurance at all because I don't have that full amount of money to cover my employee and their family on a big plan. And that's obviously the perfect scenario if you can do that. There's a million other ways to do a little something. That's uh that's great. And I think the same thing can be said for, you know, the, there are plans if, if you go through a, a financial person for, you know, retirement savings, mm-hmm. even if you can't match it, you know, if you can offer it and you, right. can, you can figure out a plan that you can work with it. And I think it, it's one of those easy things. And I think even I was guilty of it in the early days of Finder Wrenches is saying, okay, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get to right. it. And then you're so busy that you, you just keep pushing we'll it get off. To it. Right. But you know, in most cases, especially in the smaller towns, your banker can often come on site and sign people up for Roth IRAs and explain hmm. what those are. And it doesn't cost you anything. And it still helps your employees to start planning for their retirement. That's a great point. So for every, like all of the benefits out there, everybody thinks, oh my gosh, I have to provide this full book of benefits. Like, you know, if, if you're working for Ford on the, on the assembly line, and that's not necessarily true. Most people, if they want to work in the corporate world, will work in the corporate world. And if they don't, they are more flexible on all of these things. But there are basic needs that every, every family has and the, by tenfold, the most important question and deciding factor for candidates outside of does it pay more than what I make now is do they have medical benefits? And so, and then right after that is do they have retirement planning? And so, you know, it's more work than it is investment to just set up the bare bones of it. It's better if you do more and it's good to improve over time setting up the bare bones of those two things really would improve the lot for some of the small shops. I agree. All right. So now we, we talked ab- about kind of the, the small shops and really, you know, what, what they can do to make their, their job more attractive. What about the other side? What about the, the major, major players in the industry, right? We work with uh, some, some big time dealerships. We work with uh, some big time independent shops and some some big time more of the uh, retail shops, I guess, if you will. Uh, wh- what uh, what do you see from them? I, I mean, in terms of being able to attract technicians, 
Are there any frustration points on them uh, that might be different than what we saw with the small, the small town repair shop that's, uh, you know, in a, in sure. a small area? Um, well, they face, they're frustrated by the fact that they face the exact same problem as the small shop. Um, they often win the battle between the small shop and them. Um, when there's a, you know, a question about benefits and career track and, and so on. But they, with all their big benefits and with all their um, bells and whistles and things that they can offer because they're a larger company, they struggle mightily to find enough technicians. You know, the, the two-bay garage needs one technician and still can't find them. But the large dealership could need 15 technicians and they, yeah. they cannot find 15 technicians. They may get two, three, four, which gosh, that would make such a difference for the small, you know, for the small business that just needs one, but they're still not able to fulfill all their needs in a timely manner with the techs that they have available. Most dealerships that I've spoken to, I spoke to three of them in the last week as we've been trying to onboard customers and they're all running two or three days of a wait list and that's money. Mm. So they, you know, they have a volume need that is extremely difficult to fulfill in terms of technicians and they're really good at providing that compensation and trying to keep their technicians but they do fall prey to other dealerships trying to recruit them away and compensation wars and, and that kind of thing. So um, even when you have all the trappings of a really big, successful dealership, you're not protected from the lack of marketplace from which everybody is yeah. trying to draw. Well, normally, and one thing that I see a lot too, Lisa, is if they're in a in a big urban area and they're a really nice dealership, they're they're surrounded mm -hmm. by really nice dealerships too, right? It's not like they're the only player in town right. either. They they are they've got their direct competitor sitting across the road from them. Uh, do you see maybe that that cross competition as a a, a big barrier for some of those urban shops? Sometimes, um, actually, what well, in big urban areas, what we find is more um, stealing from each other. So <laughs> the Toyota dealership yeah. steals from another Toyota dealership and, and so on so that they can get um, the certification. But if they can get somebody from another dealership and cross-certify, they will do it in a minute and they will pay more money without really even thinking about it to get that that tech over to their shop. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to me because I think one, it, it doesn't help anybody out if we're just swapping people. Right. And, and it's like a, a trade and we're really not adding to that. So, you know, I think there's some level of, you know, that I'm very passionate about that part of the business and trying to make the, make the industry more attractive. So we do get mm -hmm. more people interested in coming in and, I think it's it's changed a lot in that, you know, maybe even only five years ago, it was a no-no to steal a yeah. tech from a competing mm -hmm. dealership, right? Like, you know, that was a, a real, that was a real kind of 
uns, unsaid rule, if you will. It's it was like even baseball spoken. You have the, the okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unspoken rule. Yeah, not yeah, yeah. It was spoken. There was a lot of them that that just said, "Hey, listen, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go after your guys. You don't go after mine." And that kind of yeah. went out the window, from what yeah, I see. Yeah, it's, it's desperation. Um, you know, just I think kicked it to the curb. You know, and and I think the the well, there's two unfortunate side effects of that. I mean, if the big guys can't get what they need, and they're starting to poach off each other. That's not leaving much for the little guys. And right. so that's one, like, you know, kind of innocent bystander getting, <laughs> getting caught up in this. But then the, the saddest part of it all is that all this stealing of text back and forth and everyone trying to get a tech to change their job and to move and whatever has created a marketplace of techs that mostly don't have good resumes. They mostly have a yeah. year here, a year there. They're jumping around. And, you know, I can see from their perspective, but this person, this place called me and they, they had a good job. And so I went to it and then it was terrible. And so then I went to another job. But as you look at these resumes and they've had 12 jobs in 10 years or five jobs in two years, that makes them less yeah. hireable, which makes the problem in the marketplace even worse. Because really solid techs yeah. look like they're job jumpers, but they're just kind of falling prey to too much opportunity. And every five minutes, somebody calling them with a different type of job. Well, that's changed too, right? They're, they're not used to no. having recruiters go after them and, and try to solicit them to right. a new opportunity. And that's, that's a big piece. You know, we talk about creating an environment that, that techs don't want to leave and we, I think we still have a long way to go on this because from, from a, uh, you know, and I'll use big dealerships as an example, we're more focused on, you know, okay, we'll pay more. We'll, we'll just pay more to keep that person and, and just throw money at it rather than really look at the, at the yeah. problem and look at, you know, is there a reason that people are jumping ship? And, and I, I know personally a, a great dealership, uh, my friend, Ed Roberts, where I love his strategy and how when he interviews somebody, he tells them to go look at other opportunities before he come, before they come there. Because he knows that he, they, he's going to blow them away when they come in the door. And he knows in the back of his head that likely other people can't right. compete with that. And so to me, he's, he's built a better mousetrap in terms of being secure. And he's focusing on the right thing, which is creating just a, a great culture where people want to be at and and he's got a list of people right. that want to come work for him right and and that doesn't i mean that is the rare rare minority of of dealerships uh that in in really any shop right like there's very few true destination shops it's out there true. in my opinion it, it is true quality of the work environment is it's a free fix that any, t any size shop can make and very few do. And, and yeah. you know, we see every day people um, either not able to hire because they've brought them into the shop to do the interview and they've seen <laughs> and they, um, they won't accept an offer or they go dark or they tell their friends they're going for an interview and their friends say, oh my God, no. This happened, this happened, yeah. this happened, and, and so on. 
maybe talk talk about that in a little bit more depth, Lisa, in terms of of that culture and of that, you know, I say it a lot, that culture is a buzzword that you really can't explain until you're in a place, right? And you can't tell if you're going to fit until you're in that place. And and I kind of equate it to maybe what we've done here at FinderWrench in in creating a, a place where people maybe genuinely care mm-hmm. about each other and and I don't want to say that from from my view because I'm obviously biased, but I think even with the team that you've assembled on the recruiting side, you know, and in the sales side and the the marketing side, it it feels like everybody genuinely cares about each other. Am I just making that up, or is that is that something that from a, from an employee standpoint you see something? Yeah, similar? I mean, and I think it it's you can always tell when you have a good culture because you have a team that sticks around. You know, and so when you look at a team and it's been together for, you know, one and a half to two years, something's right. Um, and, and that can be different things all, all around, but I think it's really important and it helps regardless of industry. If you have a good team that likes each other, they will yeah. stick around better than a team that hates each other. And if you breed a team that's kind of supportive versus competitive, you um you you stand to see much more longevity in the team that's there but even beyond culture there's just like basics that anybody could do that would really help like we just had the circumstance this last week where a client hired somebody successfully and after the second day that person laughed and refused to go back. And it mm-hmm. was that they weren't completely upfront when they made the hire. They, you know, they didn't tell them they were going to be working outside the whole day in Florida wow. <laughs> in the summertime on garbage trucks that nobody had bothered to rinse off before they brought for them to work on. So they were, you know, working outside on garbage trucks with maggots and smell and, and all of this that's something that you could fix without spending a single cent. You can get an awning or you can be very clear about the fact that it's an outside job. You can hose the darn trucks off so that people aren't having garbage drip on their faces while they're under the trucks. Little, like little things like that. You'd be amazed. Make sure that the shop is, you know, not completely filthy or you know, neat as much as you can make the work area pleasant is really, really helpful. I, I think that goes to back, you know, and kind of circling back to earlier in our conversation with, you know, and I, you hear me promote this constantly. I know you do too, but that always be recruiting philosophy is so important because when you have to hire a body because you're just desperate and you need help and you're in a market where technicians are not easy to find, you can easily make a bad hire and and both from the technician standpoint uh making a decision on on where they're going to work and a uh, a shop standpoint on hiring somebody and i i say this a lot you know i i think the more you can proactively build your rolodex and the more that you can have you know really court to, to use an old term, court mm-hmm. uh, some folks that you that you, maybe you don't have an immediate need for, but 
that you're trying to groom so that when you do have that opening that, you know, it's a really easy organic conversation right. rather than, oh my gosh, we're getting yelled at by everybody. We need to hire yeah. somebody right now. <laughs> do you see the exactly same right. thing? I mean, and, th and that's part of what, what we try and do um, on the ASR program where we, you know, kind of build these passive pipelines of candidates that are used to hearing from us. They, you know, so that even though they know they're not looking right now, we're staying in their mind constantly. So they're not yeah. annoyed by us because we're not saying, come in for an interview, come do this, do this, do this, or interrupting them. But once a week, once every other week, we're checking in to see how, what's going on with them. And this is what we have right now. And is that of interest to you? And it's a really good way to kind of keep in touch with people so that the second they're ready, they think of you. They don't feel so pressured that they run from you. Yeah. How, one question that I get, and, and I've had this thought before too, is say you do a really good job at proactively recruiting. You're recruiting when you're, you, you know, you've got a full, full staff and you're doing all the right things. What happens when you get that rock star candidate that you don't, currently have a need for, right? What, what happens when that, that perfect unicorn that you're looking for, how do you, how do you keep them patient, especially in the job market right now where they've probably got a yeah. line of shops looking for them? How do you well, approach that? It depends. So if you're one of those shops that's working on the two or three day wait list now, maybe you can expand your capacity um, and, and kind of build in a little bit of, um, of extra capacity for clients right now. That's the best move because soon somebody's going to leave. It always happens. You know that. Yes. <laughs> but, and it's usually the day after the other person takes a job and is no longer available. So, you know, I always encourage to take them if you can. If you find somebody that's right for your organization, take them if you can in any way. If you can, yeah. and that's sometimes the case, Oftentimes, if you have a frank conversation with them about the fact that you can't right now, but you want to, and that you do see openings in the very near future, oftentimes you can come to, you know, sort of an agreement to either stay closely in touch or to agree upon a later start date. We have that a lot too. Like I know that Joe is retiring in July but I don't have any room for another tech or any base for them until that happens. So you make the start date for right after Joe is set to retire and everybody sort of plans accordingly from there. Yeah. Life's a lot easier at that point. And I, one, one area that I think that you can, from maybe a management standpoint or an ownership standpoint, really, really uh, help yourself when you're having that relationship is to say, you paint a vision, mm -hmm. right? Paint, paint the bigger picture to say, Hey, look, at, look we're, we're right. wanting to grow. We want, we want to grow this business. There are going to be opportunities for you, not only for this position, but there's opportunity for advancement if you're really, really good at what yeah. you do. Right. And if you can paint that picture, and I, I think for younger generations, that's, that's really what they crave. And really mm -hmm. any of us do, right. We want to know, that there's, you know, there's, there's a, a path for us to, uh, to grow and there's a path for us to, 
to get better. And, and that's something even that I, I need to do a better job at with our team is trying to paint that vision and paint that picture. But it, it is, it, it is so vitally important that you've got everybody, you know, internally rowing in that direction. You've got, you know, if you're bringing, trying to bring somebody externally on that you paint that same picture for them uh, so that everybody has an idea of, of what your growth plan is and, and really, is there a career path for me? Are there ways that that I can advance and and make more money or have more responsibility and and really just learn to get better? Um, so I I think you can uh, to take your comment a little bit even further to to talk about that vision side. I think that's really mm -hmm. important and and especially with shops right now. Uh, and if, if you're looking to retain somebody for the long term and you can sell them on vision. That, that's a that's yeah. a big big thing right and and i think that helps culture i think that yes. helps a lot of things the so, one thing i would add to that um, though is yeah when you're painting that picture i think what what happens is sometimes shops will skip to that picture right <laughs> you have to it, yeah. it, you have to paint the path to that picture so so point. you have Great to be point. really you have to find a way to paint the picture of their job from the second they start in a way that's accurate and also positive and how that job leads to the job that they want. Because oftentimes yeah. shops will kind of oversell and yes. that's where we get the job jumping. It wasn't what they told me. They told me I was going to be doing this, but the shop meant, in four years after you have another six ASE certifications and all this experience, you know? So I, that's the one caution that I have is paint that picture, but then also ground it in a really clear picture of what today looks like and what the steps in between today and that dream are. That is a outstanding point. I, that is really, really good. And we're, uh, we're bumping up on our time here, but I think I, I'd want to maybe finish with this question for you, which is how do you recruit without overselling? Well, firstly, really understand what is good about what you have to offer. Every shop has something that's good to offer. Even if it's a tiny little shop in a tiny little town, there, what can be great about it is just that fact or the fact that you're a tiny little shop, but you deal with every type of car and there's only two mechanics. And so you are going to be really involved in all of these different things, even though you're much less experienced than the other, the other mechanic. That can be a very good thing for even a dealership technician. Um, they get bored. They do the same thing over and over and over again. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. you can always find what's really great about your shop and paint the picture that includes and highlights those things. And if you're honest about the shortcomings, um, but paint a good picture about what's unique about you and why you like to work there, you, you always can recruit. It may take longer. If you're in a tiny little place, it's going to take longer. But that's the most important thing is every shop has one, two, three, some have 20 great things 
um, make sure you know them, make sure you include them in, in conversations, make sure that you create that picture beforehand. Don't try to figure out why you're, <laughs> why you're walking the guy around the shop because it just doesn't work. Kind of think of it in advance, understand your story and why your shop is worth working for and leaving potentially a more, you know, robust operation. And then, you know, kind of get comfortable with that story to tell over and over again as you, as you meet people. Well, and if you sell it the right way, I think you find fit too, right? You find somebody that, that really likes the things you're strong at and maybe doesn't care as much about the stuff exactly. that you're weak at. And, and that's uh, at the end of the day, I think a, a big recipe for success when it comes to yeah. text finding. My shop. mom always so, used to say there's all different color birds and you just have to find the right flock. And so if you're a tiny, like, for instance, one of our clients is a, you know, antique car, you know, refurbishing company. And there's a very, very small population of people that want that, that type of job. But when they find them, it's great. And so just figure out what's unique about you and highlight that. Try and fix some of the other stuff and then craft a really true story about it. That's great. And, and the classic car one, I, uh, uh, I would classify as the person that would really, really like that job. Uh, but I'm definitely not talented enough to be able to do it. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I, uh, uh, but I, I guess to end here, Lisa, I, I, I want to thank you for, for being on the podcast, for being kind of a, for being a foundational piece of what we've done at find a wrench, uh, a lot of credit to our growth goes to you. And, and we, we love uh, the person that you are and, and how, how much you care about the company and how much you care about uh, just other people in general. So I, I think uh, it's, it's been a pleasure uh, to have you on the podcast and even more so uh, we, we appreciate the heck out of what you've done thank for Finder Rich. So, so thank you so much. For I really being on appreciate today. it, Jay. All right. That was Lisa Joseph, our director of recruiting. Uh, if uh, you want to listen to this podcast or any other podcasts, you can go out to anywhere podcasts are uh, released. Uh, we're on iTunes, Spotify, uh, pretty much anywhere. So uh, go check them out. I think there's a lot of good information on them and, uh, and have a great day.